Hello, everybody, and welcome to tonight's V Brown Bag. Uh, it is Thursday, February 10th, 2016. Um, tonight, we've got Ariel talking to us about um, part of our VCP 6 series that we're doing. We're on section number 10 of the blueprint, and uh, he will be guiding us through administering and managing vSphere virtual machines. Um, do you want to give us a little preview of, uh, of what you're doing tonight? Sure. Uh, we're basically going to try to get covered the three sections. Uh, the first thing we talk about is virtual machine options, especially the more the pre less frequently used ones. Uh, then we're going to talk about the content libraries, which is a new uh, feature in version six. And then we're going to talk about integrating vSphere with vCloud Air. Excellent. Uh, should be a good night. There's some stuff that I want to learn, so I hope uh, everybody else that's either attending live or watching later gets something good out of it. Um, before we start, a little housekeeping, uh, quick notes. You can follow us, of course, at Twitter, uh, at the Brown Bag, um, and our other, our other uh, accounts around the world. So if you've got anybody overseas or, or uh, our friends in Latin America, um, we have shows just for them, too. So you can follow us. Um, you can tweet our Twitter hashtag, the Brown Bag. I'll be watching that during tonight's presentation. If you have any questions, uh, feel free to shoot out any, you know, shoot them out on Twitter with the V Brown Bag hashtag. I'll see them, I'll relay them, and we'll see if we can't if we can't get those answered. You can also ask questions in the question box of the this webinar, and uh, I will interject and see if we can get those answered for you. Um, again, some of our our shows around the world that we're doing um, every other Thursday um, for our APAC team, EMEA team on Tuesdays, the Latin America team. And of course, us, you know where we are because you are here. Um, so again, we have Ariel. I am Anthony Hook. I will be your guide for tonight. And um, I think I think that's all I've got. So give me just a second here, and I will change presenter to you. All right. And um, you've got the floor. Yep. Now let's see if I can tell it which screen. Hold on. I see a notepad. Yeah. I see a PowerPoint. Excellent. All right, guys. Uh, this is VCP. 6 DCV section 10. This is the last section that is being covered in the vBrownBug US. That's my name. You can go to my website. That's my Twitter. Oh, let me just make this big. So this section basically covers three big things. Uh, virtual machine settings. We're going to go over those. Uh, create and manage multi-site content library. New feature. It's not a big feature, but definitely something useful and uh, how to configure and maintain a vCloud Air connection. So these are the PDFs that the web page mentions for these objectives. And I can tell you I have a big question mark on the first one because I searched the terms, I looked at it, and I cannot find anything related to these topics of that first PDF. But the rest of them, yeah, they do have their things. I'm going to help you find them. Um, and uh, I provided the links in the presentation. So let's start looking at the objectives. 
So the first thing is uh, we other objectives cover the basic settings, but this objective in particular checks some of the less used features. We're going to talk about USB devices. We're going to talk about vGPUs, direct path I.O., server I.O.V., uh, single root I.O.V., sorry. Uh, talk about multi-core vCPUs. I'm going to get right into it. Uh, what I do with my presentations is, okay, you have to read the source documents. If you're going to study for the exam, this is an exam that is, you know, they can just put you very similar options, so you have to know exactly what thing is. Go ahead and read the source documents. What I do put is the page numbers where I find the topics. Uh, and uh, what I always do with this kind of things is I rely on the community. So I'm going to include here we're going to look at a couple of blogs. One is Vladens, and the other is uh, You Wannabe. That you know, they already did the work of figuring out the screenshots and stuff. So I'm I'm not going to spend a lot of time looking at the blog post. We're going to go fast on it, and then we're going to take a look at the lab that I set up, and that way we can we can jump around. And especially if anybody has any question, then we can talk more about it. Uh, let me get, I had a little note set up here, one second. All right, okay, so most of the options are in the second tab of when we check a VM. The first thing that we're going to check is general options. One thing that you want to be careful here is the config file, where is it located? So this is the data store, this is the folder, this is the actual VMX file. Uh, we're going to talk about it in more detail in a little second. Uh, there is There are remote console options. This is this is when you open the remote console into the VM. And there's a couple options, especially one that I really like is locking the guest operating system when a person, a vSphere administrator, disconnects so that you, know, you don't open a VM and suddenly you have full administrator privileges because the previous administrator didn't lock his session. So VMware will do that for you. You can also limit how many sessions are there. Uh, you can talk about the, you can modify the behavior of these buttons and when the VMware tools scripts run. You can talk about, you, know, you can modify the default power management options. You can also modify the boot options in these machines and this is a funny one because you, as you probably know most new operating systems are already uh, they already have support for EFI so this is something that you can actually modify and depending on how you're especially if you're importing a VMDK that was installed under one uh, type and you, you suddenly bring it into another type it will not boot so this is one thing that you can change you can change the boot delay you can send it to, to the bio setup, which is good, especially when you can't see the VM coming up and you only have like two seconds to do something. Uh, here we're talking about some of the logging capabilities. And uh, one thing that I wanted to mention here, the swap file location. This is something you can configure in the host, but you can also uh, configure per VM. And final, uh, finally, there we go. Uh, here's the, the, the NPIV 
where you said uh, NPIV is, is a way of having the VM talk directly to the fiber channel array and it would have its own WWM. So this is where you would configure those options. I don't know why this is not moving much. Let's see if I can just refresh this. <laughs> just my luck. Hold on. There you go. All right. Wait, now I'll switch to another one. Sorry about that. Okay, so this is uh, V1B's blog about the machine options. And we're just going to switch over here a bit. We're going to talk about the VMX settings. And, you know, the VMX is basically where you define the virtual machine capabilities. Um, we actually, he actually put one in here where you can actually see that we're talking about the hardware version. Uh, uh, we're talking about what guest OS it is, and we're talking I'll talk about that a little bit later. We're talking about the devices. So there's a lot of options that this basically a text file that you can edit. Um, normally the client edits it for you, but you could just edit it in the data store or download it, edit it, and bring it back with the machine turned off and do your changes there. So one other way you can edit this VMX file is actually, and I don't know if he has it here. Now we'll do it in, in the lab in a little bit. Make sure this came back. Okay. <laughs> let's do it. Let's, do, let's go take a look at the lab in a little second and let's talk about that. Um, let's see here. So whenever you have a VM and you click on Edit Settings, in that same tab, the VM Options tab, there's a little button here for Configuration Parameters where you click, click Edit Configuration. This is the same VMX file. The only difference is that you don't see an equal sign and there's no quotes around the values. But say that you need to add of a value to the VMX file, you can just add row, put the value here, and put the other value here. Uh, one of the things that I found that I normally have to add, especially because I like using the the virtual uh, center appliance, is something called the typematic delay. Uh, when you have like a, a Linux OS and you you press a key and it suddenly does like four of the same keys. That's an option that you can set. So that's something that I always like to do to my VCSAs, for example. All right, let me go back to, I won't say the slides, but to the blog that we're taking a look at. Okay, another thing that you always want to know, but it was uh, discussed in another one, is the difference in the files. So we've been talking about the VMX file, which is the configuration file. But normally, the, the most important thing is your VMDK, which is your actual server files. If you ever need, for example, to redo your server, and one of the use cases is, for example, 
you upgraded your virtual hardware to the latest version, but then you find out that, oh, you need to go back. So one of the things you can do is you can create a blank VM and set the same settings, same CPU, same RAM, but don't add a hard disk, and then just add that a copy or whatever you want to do of that existing hard disk. So it will still, you'll still get the same server because your files and all the installation and everything are in the VMDK files. Uh, one thing that's important to note is, especially, you see, noted this flat VMDK? You don't see this in the data store browsers. Um, you will see it if you download those files to your local machine, for example. So just make a note, if you're going to copy VMDKs, make sure that that flat file also comes with you. Uh, there's an additional configuration files file. Uh, there's some for snapshots. Make sure for the exam you know exactly which ones they are because they will tell you, okay, what is a VMSN? You have to be able to know that. Uh, let me check what else we can talk about before I move on. Okay, let's talk about direct path I.O. So direct path I.O. is uh, a direct linking of a VM and a physical resource. Uh, it's a one-to-one -one mapping. There are, and I think he put the, the things right here. It's a one-to-one -one mapping, meaning that machine depends on that hardware now. So there's a lot of things that suddenly become unavailable. You cannot do snapshots. Uh, since, you, since it's tied to that host, no high availability, you cannot enable fault tolerance uh, or any of the nifty features like suspend and resume. You basically have to run like if that VM was a physical server, right? Um, he put some things that are UCS, but this doesn't really come in the exam. Mm, but the, the important thing there is, if, and this is actually for uh, just your knowledge as an IT professional is that even though I'm saying all of those things, UCS does have some some uh, hardware tricks in order for you to be able to do this. Um, let me go back here. So he does a better better job of highlighting it. So where would you enable this? Uh, you basically add a PCI device. The device has to be compatible, has to be part of the HCL. Um, it requires a memory reservation. Um, I would say that that's about it. That's the things I, I can tell you. But let's talk about the other uh, hardware feature that's similar, but not just the same, which is single root IOV. Uh, one of the things that happens with single root IOV, again, you have a virtual machine that is being able to talk directly to hardware, but it is not an exclusive uh, relationship. Other machines can also talk to hardware. Basically, what's happening is the hypervisor is being bypassed, and the machine can talk directly to the device. So that's one of the differences with uh, a single root IOV. Uh, again, the devices have to be uh, compatible. There's uh, there's something called uh, virtual functions. If 
uh, treat them as, as treat these virtual functions as offloads. So any compatible device will, will also tell you how many virtual functions it has. The more virtual functions it has, the more it offloads from the VM. So this is the, the use cases for both direct path IO and single root IOV are very high performance, very uh, applications that really require the most out of the hardware. Uh, if you're the kind of person that when he's looking out for NICs, he's looking for the lowest latency numbers because your application is so specific, this is probably something that you want. All right, let's talk about, well, we talked about this, we talked about the swap file, we're done with this one. And, and just to talk about the um, the SRIOV, um, Kyle's telling me that VCraft Beer Alex did a whole V brown bag on that topic. So um, if somebody does have any more questions on that, they can look through uh, our list of, of uh, V brown bags in the past. Check our YouTube channel, and uh, apparently we have an entire an entire session dedicated just to that. So and, and that's awesome. Uh, some other options. Uh, you can disable acceleration on the machine, which is normally enabled by default. If you run into this problem, you, there's an option for that. Um, and another thing that I wanted to mention is latency. So there's a latency sensitivity feature. And I'm going to go back to my lab real quick, but just to take a look at it. Because this is something that is typically in normal by default, but there is a a a whole way you can adjust. And I wouldn't say it's the same thing as shares or reservations. I'm not ex exactly sure what the algorithm is. But again, if you're a person that is running uh, very high sensible workloads, or if uh, you know you have a void application and it's not working fine, you're having these problems, the application is not meant to work in a virtualized environment when time is time is flexible, let's say it that way. This is something you can adjust. All right. So let me take this out of the way and let's go back to the presentation here. Okay, so let's see, we spent twenty minutes in the first section. Let's try to get these others. Uh, objective 10.2, which is basically the multi-site content library. Now, this is a, a really nice topic, and it only it's only like 10 pages. I mean, honestly, you, this is a topic that you should get all your points because there's only some uh, some questions on what you're going to do in there. Uh, some extra resources. This is, there was a session in VMworld 2015. If you're able to get to it, go ahead and take a look at it because it's not public. They didn't put it in YouTube. But it's William Lamb, another gentleman, and they just go over everything in Content Library and they explain you all the, all the things. It's, it's, I was able to attend it and I, I, it blew my mind. I said, wow, this is something good. Uh, there's, there is a YouTube playlist for all the basics. So all the little things that we're talking about in DCP uh, there are little videos. Uh, one of the things that we're probably going to try to do in the lab is subscribe to a content library. And William Lemon actually has a public, which I don't know if it's still available, but I hope it is, 
he has a public content library that's available, so we're going to try to subscribe to it. And he also has a great post on one of the upcoming features of how to mount an ISO. So let's go ahead and go take a look at the, at the lab. And now content libraries are a vCenter uh, property. So in here I have two vCenters. I have Japan and New York City. This is like the Americas. I have Costa Rica as well in here. And we have uh, only one in Japan. And I actually have Inception because this is my real host host. Uh, so I can't remember if it was in related objects. Let me take a look. It wasn't there. Okay, here. Okay, here we go. And then the content libraries. So whenever you create a content library, you create it per data center. Uh, you have to set a data store. Let's go ahead and create one right now. And let's just call this the Costa Rica content library. You're going to create it in America's vCenter, let's say that way. And uh, here's what, what I was talking. Let me first create a, a local one, and then we'll create a subscribed content library. Local, it's basically, you know, it, it's a storage bin where the idea of a content library is you're going to put your templates or your ISO files or whatever, and whether in your same company you want other people to subscribe to it so that they can get it or sync with it. Um, and there's an option to sync automatically or not so that everyone in the company is using the same template. Or you can publish it externally so that, for example, if you're a provider and you're interested in people getting access to your images, you can publish this uh, like within bid on the internet. When they talk about authentication, it's really simple authentication. It's just a password. But at least it's better than nothing, right? So once you create a local, you have to, um, I don't know what you would, oh, maybe you can add it directly to an MFS. But you can also just uh, go ahead and put it in one of your data stores. So in this case, I'm going to go ahead and put it here. and. There's really nothing else you create it. It doesn't have, you don't specify the size. Uh, the size will be what it will be. And um, so once you select it, one of the things you can do is uh, you can change your options after you did that. Or you can just go ahead and, OK, let me go ahead and import an OVF or import uh, an ISO image or other file types that you want to uh, synchronize. So that's how you create a content library. Let me, let me just double check the objectives here so we try to talk about them. So publish a content catalog, which you did subscribe. We're going to do that with Williams right now. Uh, we're going to talk about privileges. So there's a special privilege and you're going to see it in the in the blog post in a little bit. 
but there's a special privilege needed uh, for for content libraries, and you're gonna see it here. It is, uh, and let me just bring the blog post fast real quick because it is. They have a little little um, graph that explains uh, the vCenter permissions. It's a completely different permission from everything else. So don't assume that because you gave someone permissions, he already has permissions to content library. No more, you have to add the rule. Uh, let's go and check the blog post real quick. Uh, like you saw, we were saying. Uh, you can see that you can synchronize from a catalog somewhere else, and you can do something. We, we're probably going to be able to do this later on. And um, I've got a question for you as as we're talking about some of the sure. things you can do. Um, is it possible to? So I have a template that's in a data store um, that's mm -hmm. registered in my vCenter. Can I move that straight from there to a content library? Is that possible? Well, we can definitely find out. Well, I think you can, but let's, let's just go ahead and try it. So let's see if I have a template around here. Just make a template on this one. For instance, you know, for instance, I have a I have a template that's created, and now I want to publish that to an organization or to you know, uh, other administrators in, at a different site and have them be able to subscribe and move them from, you know, from their content library or data store? Or is that something where you publish it from the content library and you say, I want to deploy a template, you know, and, and pick the source of the content library? I'm not, not quite sure how that works. Yeah. Yeah, we're gonna try. We're gonna do that right now. So let me see if I was able to make a template there. Where did that go? Come on, attempt it. No, it's probably that I just don't see that. The, yeah, here it goes. I hadn't seen that the the icon had changed, but here it is. It's a template. So, in good old theory, see, we have this option, clone to library. So, you will always, you can't just really say, I moved it, right? But you can definitely grab a template and send it to a library. You get some options, for example, you wanted to preserve my address. But once, and I'm just going to do this right now. So, I don't know how, how long that's going to take. Let's also grab another smaller one. Yeah, let's make you a template. Okay. It's always fun with the web client. So let's go ahead and let's move you also to the library. So that's a, a really small one. Okay. All right. So once they are in your template, and the, this is the first things first, right? So the first thing we want to do is go ahead and make a new machine, and you get this the option to just do a VM or a VM from library. 
So when you have that option to do a, a VM from library, and uh, I guess it hasn't really finished yet, but let me see if it, we have something here. Yay. So once you have it in your library, you can deploy it right there. So no problem with you saying, okay, these, I like these templates. I like how they're going. They're going into my, my content library. And from then on, you can use that to deploy. Now, if you want to send it to someone else, then what you need to do is create a content library, the destination site, and subscribe it to this one. Okay? Did I, did I answer your question? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, so like VM templates. Um, well, I'm sorry, what was that? Let's go and subscribe, and that way we can we can take a look at how those things work. Sure, and I think ISO is probably I would guess then have to be treated differently. You know, you you upload it from like your local workstation, and you know, and download it from there, and then maybe to a data store if you wanted to transfer it that way. Um, so the the thing with ISOs is they the content library has like this this way of organizing files. So you won't find the ISOs easily, and that's one of the things that is mentioned in one of the posts there. But uh, let's go ahead and show you. We have a nice little, oh yeah, there we go. We have an ISO here. So you see that you have the, your templates, and you also have other types, right? So let's say I want to deploy a VM from an ISO that's in my template. Now this is going to be, this is something that they're working on, right? But let's say I want to create a new virtual machine. Uh, actually, I'm not going to do it from the library. What I'm going to do is create a new machine, and then when the machine is already set, uh, let's just create one real fast. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. So let's say I'm just changing it to so it matches the the actual ISO that I'm going to use. Um. Here's where you can actually change some of that. Not here. Actually, I have to deploy it first. I think I have to deploy it first. So I'm going to deploy it. And what you're going to do is then you're able to mount the ISO like you would be able to mount it from a data store. So let's go here. And then the hardware. Uh, well, okay. And All right. So you remember that we have that in Japan, right? And Japan is my my NFS data store. Now, notice there's a folder here called Content Lib. That's the actual content library. The sad part is you're going to have to explore until you find that ISO file. 
because right now, in its current, and we found it real fast, in its current iteration, you don't get that translation that you get when you normally use, a, use the content library interface. But you can still mount and, and otherwise use the content library with files and the files and stuff. You're replicating the ISOs everywhere else. If you want to mount the ISO from the content library, you will have to deal with this until they make it more user friendly. Uh, you can see that it, it basically just uses GUIDs uh, for identifying things. But, you know, it's still a VMDK, still an ISO file. Quite honestly, uh, if your whole objective is just making sure that everybody has the same ISO files, then you're probably just good with using the interface and telling people, no, just go in there, use related objects, other types, and then you can just, uh, I'm pretty sure you should be able to download this. Um, yeah, so you, you basically get it are able to export it back into your desktop or whatever. Does that answer your question? Yeah, yeah, it did. I, I think I'm set. Thank you. No problem. So let me go back to the objectives. Oh, yeah, we're going to do a subscribe thing of... Uh, let's see if I have... Williams. Let's look for Williams blog post shown. So let's grab this. Let me stick it to our lab. So here it is. He goes ahead and gives you a nice little URL that you can make, uh, that you can use in order for you to go ahead and. So what we're going to do is we're going to create one, and we're going to call it. Uh, let's say I'm going to call it. Um, It's going to be New York. All right, so you subscribe to the content library. Now, that link, you get it from when, when you publish one of these. You can get that link, and then you can use it to subscribe somewhere else. Uh, in this case, he did not enable authentication, and he puts download. He suggests that we download uh, the content immediately. Uh, here's his certificate. I'm going to select a data store right there. And it seems that we're all set. So it will create the content library. Um, and it's probably going to start doing some, uh, some downloads. So you can see that 
immediately it picked up what files are there. And for now, there's zero bytes. And I remember he said that they were really, really small files, but it may just be, uh, let's see if we can get. So you get this different icon for this. Uh, you see that you can see the, syn the synchronization. Uh, you could change the synchronization options and stuff like that. And I assume that if I refresh or something, I might be able to see some realistic file sizes. There you go. So this way, in this case, this one is synchronizing automatically. Uh, I think there is some ways to modify how much it synchronizes. You can just uh, synchronize on demand. But this is the way that you would, uh, for example, let's make an example. Manage settings. Yes, I want to publish this. Okay, so I get I get a link, and then you can just create somewhere another site and go ahead and uh, and start downloading. You could also set a password in case you don't want people accessing it. Uh, let me go back to the presentation, and let's see if I missed anything. But this this is one topic that is not very big, and you should be able to read all 10 pages of it and get all the all the points uh, privileges we already talked about automatic and on demand configure to work across sites now remember uh, it is you, you get two options right it is vCenter dependent so if you have more than one vCenter you can put it in another vCenter but if you have one vCenter managing uh, geographically uh, distant positions you control it by the data store. So you can create, uh, let's say, for example, you have, I don't know, like New York City and Costa Rica, which are distant. So you can create content libraries at each site and set one to replicate of the other, and use sync whenever you have the bandwidth. Uh, so remember that you don't need to have another vCenter. Even though it's a, a content libraries are a property of the vCenter, you can create content libraries inside that just with the with the data store location, then you have your your data proximity, right? So we talked about um, adding, removing, it's adding and removing, just like you saw it. it. Basically, you remove it. And I think I, I remember. I, I don't. I do remember that someone told, uh, probably from that session, that when you remove the content library, it doesn't automatically remove the files. So you want to be. Uh, you can. You want to try that. You want to test that, of course. There is a uh, one thing that is not here, but it does talk in the documentation about syncing content libraries uh, with vCloud Air. Now, vCloud Air is the next uh, objective that we're going to talk about. I think I'm going going okay on time. So, the the first thing that you you want to understand is uh, as a VCP, the topics are always expanding. And one of the things they want you to to know, to actually hopefully start buying, right, and start using, is uh, the connections to vCloud Air. Uh, from the moment you installed um, your 
your vCenter, you now have these options. You know, you have Hybrid Cloud Manager right here. Click on this, and automatically, you know, shows you videos and how cool it is. So, one of the things that they want you to do is to actually know how to, how this works. Why is it a good idea to use it? And um, there's several options. Uh, you you there, and you can and anybody can just go ahead and sign up. You're gonna see links all over the place when you log into my VMware. Uh, telling you you can start and they'll give you $300 in service credits for free. Uh, there are some things that I found out trying to set up this presentation. For example, uh, the, there's a product called uh, Virtual Cloud On Demand, which is different from what uh, is being talked about here in this Disaster Recovery User's Guide, which is Disaster Recovery as a Service. So they're, they're different things, and I, I probably have to file a support ticket so that they can enable it in my account. But you will learn about vCloud. Uh, apart from the things that are in these guides, which honestly, you basically just read this 22 pages and a little section in the Virtual Machine Administration Guide, there are a, a bunch of resources where you can learn about vCloud. Uh, there's a self-paced two-hour tutorial that is free. It's one of those free classes that you can take, which has an excellent explanation of the networking and also of the capabilities and options that you have. There is a public uh, getting started with vCloud there session. Uh, I found Mike Preston has a couple blogs on vCloud Air where he actually uses the OVF tool, which I've heard a lot of people say, you know, with the OVF tool, it's real easy. You know, it's a command line tool that you can download uh, to talk directly to, to vCloud there. There is a lot of training, and, and especially when you when you uh, Google, um, hopefully someone doing a walkthrough or something, uh, what you find is a lot of VMware, either marketing or uh, VMware release material. So it, hopefully with, with today's, you're going to, have a little more uh, information, especially because there's a lot of study guides that don't include this part because it's a pain to set up, honestly, and spend hours on it. And uh, the actual thing that is included is the disaster recovery use case. So that one is using the vSphere replication appliance. And let me show you a little bit about that. Um, so what happens here is, Remember if it's in the V center, let's go ahead. Pretty sure it's in the V center. Ian, while you're doing that, where you're getting to where you're going, um, somebody on Twitter reminded me that uh, VMware does have their eval uh, experience um, that you get when you uh, subscribe to be a VMUG, admit, uh, VMUG Advantage uh, mm -hmm. member. You do get six hundred dollars in vCloud Air on demand service per year, so um, yep. something to think about for you want to check it out and and do a test drive. You get six hundred dollars for subscribing to uh, the the eval experience, and I can post a link in the uh, all chat. Yep, yep. It's uh, it's actually one of those things that. Since the you know advantage slash evil is 200 bucks, you get the licenses, you get the the v, uh, VMworld uh, discount, and you get the exam discounts. Even the experts that in my case, where I 
I had seen that the experts got 600 credits but that expired in October I was very tempted I was like hmm you know it's a very good deal uh, honestly evil experience as a whole is, is a very good deal and uh, especially if you're going to be seriously pursuing your VCP it's, uh, it's probably one of those things that you really want to do so let's look at the vSphere replication and first of all let's go and take a look at the the vCloud Air uh, let me see if I got my email here. Let me just put the password. So this is the account that I set up with the 300 bucks. And we're just gonna go real fast, but this is what I was saying that you get you get by default the private cloud on demand. In order for you to actually use the vSphere application appliance, uh, you actually need just a bit different. You actually need a different product, and that product is called that product is called. I can find it right now. Oh, that product is called Faster Recovery to Cloud Service. So you have to have an an actual offering in your vCloud Air account that's called Disaster. Uh, to cloud recovery service, which I don't have, which is okay. Um, if you have never seen a vCloud before, you basically set up a, a data center in a, in a location, and they have in Europe, Japan, US. You have a lot of places, and you can create uh, a virtual machine. Uh, they already have some catalogs. Uh, you can see that there are some that license are, are a bit more expensive or some free ones. Um, you can see, and we're going to talk about this connection, that already did a synchronization here. And this synchronization is a bit different from what actually comes in the exam. And I want to explain that. The What comes in the exam is a connection through a vSphere replication appliance. So you install a vSphere application appliance, you link it to your vCenter, and then you use the information to connect here, and now you can replicate the VMs and treat it very much like you treated the vSphere replication uh, from one vCenter to another, or you know, you basically set your RPOs, you can tell it to go ahead and fail over or migrate the, the VM over there, but it's not something that is gonna be running all the time, it's priced differently. Uh, for disaster recovery as a service, you don't pay as much. Um, the other way, and there's about four ways of connecting uh, from your vSphere uh, vCenter to the vCloud Air. The other way is through what they call vCloud Connector. So you deployed, you deployed two uh, appliances, a vCloud Connector server and a vCloud Connector node. And uh, funny thing, these actually work only in IE to be able to see all the configuration part. So we're looking at the vCloud Connector server here. 
It's just an OBS. Uh, the important thing is that you connect it to your vCenter. And when you create your node, you also connect it to your vCenter. And then in this interface, which has some funky things, you actually tell the server which is your node and what is your account to vCloud Director. And here's another fun fact. The, this only works in the vSphere client. Once you create this connection, you get this little button here we call vCloud Connector, and then you can access, uh, well, you actually have to add them first. Yeah, that's right. But basically, you add your local vSphere, you give it your vCenter connections, and you add your vCloud Air. Again, you give it your account. And uh, with that, you can now, you can see I, I linked it to my Japan vCenter. So I can see my VMs, and I can also see in vCloud Air the machines that I have. And in this case, I created just a machine just testing. You can see it here. But, um, Uh, you can check your templates. You can check virtual machines if I had any. I think I I tried uploading one. And it's probably still going. <laughs> These are all the the other things. So you can see here that I copied. Let's take a look here. So if this is a little web server that I have made, and I can probably see what I can do. I can probably deploy it now. All of this is from my vCenter, right? I'm still connected to my vCenter. And uh, I can now deploy it in my cloud. Uh, connection there. So now to actually get it working to the point, like for example, one of the things that I'm going to do is I'm going uh, to grab this website, right? Which has me and my cat and Ivy Brownback. I'm actually gonna, and this will have to be later after this, after we finish. I actually have to go in here and set the networking so it can be accessed, uh, so it can be accessed uh, externally. So I have a public IP, and I have to configure the the rules and the NATs and other things. But this is all part of of managing the vCloud directory. So again. Not part of the VCP, but I do encourage you go get the free account, figure how it works out, uh, play with it. You know, it's 300 bucks, and honestly, I think I'm only using. Well, actually, let's go take a look how much am I using yet. I only started using it this afternoon, so. It's like five, I think it was like five cents per hour. So those 300 bucks should, especially if you're using small Linux machines, they should last you a good while. So why am I talking about, about all of this? It doesn't come in the exam. Because if, if you play with it this way, and I'm thinking, I'm just going to su submit a, a support request to get that other option that I don't have added. Once you play with it, it's no longer just something that you read in the blogs. You actually spend some time on it. And that way, not only uh, is it going to be better for you in the exam, but 
also I think also it's going to be better for you when you actually have uh, some kind of a project where you want to test this out. So let me see if see he did get the replication to work. So these are the machines that he was replicating over to to um, to vCloud Air. So you can see it differently. So once you have vCloud Air disaster recovery, uh, you replicate those VMs and you have like you can leave the machine turned on for testing for like seven days. So you're gonna you're not gonna see uh, a lot of questions on it, but you do want to read uh, those those pages that I mentioned in the in here because it's very explicitly singled out in the in the blueprint and it's only 22 pages so um, with that I finished the topics I want to talk about more study resources uh, for the VCP6 so there's obviously a bunch of study guides go ahead and, and read them all I mean you have to read the the PDF that they recommend but you will notice that different people focus on different things. So it's always good to take a look at the study guides. Maybe something that you thought wasn't um, so important, he shows you why it's important. He gives an explanation. Uh, I left a link to the official documentation. There's a Google study group that I started for people that are studying where they can put questions. Uh, Pluralsight already finished their vSphere 6 data center uh, series, which I think it was fine. And um, and thank you very much. So all this, this is these are slides, and I'm going to put an explanation of how I built this uh, lab in my website in the VMware rebranding section. And I'm so glad that I finished in in the hour that I was supposed to finish. Awesome. Yeah, that was good. Uh, you know, sometimes they go longer and sometimes they go shorter, and you know, it is what it is. So this was good. We finished about four minutes early. Um, does anybody else have any questions before we let them go or before we let you go? Um, write down yeah. write down his blog. We'll post a follow-up too on uh, on the brown bag with this and uh, you know the slides and all the info. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see anything else on Twitter uh, at the moment. Any other questions in here? Uh, no, Kyle Murley just says, well done. Thank um, you. Yeah, I think, I think we're set. So if that was all, thank you very much for your time tonight. And uh, I'm going to stop the recording here. Thank you. Um,